Welcome back to this edition of FI Insight. Today, we continue our conversation on InsureTech with Iris Barson. Thank you for joining us, Iris. Thank you, Chris. I'm very happy to be back uh, continuing our conversation with you. So maybe this is a good time um, to ask you to elaborate a little bit more on the issues that players in the space need to consider, specifically around regulatory activity and development uh, bearing on the use of personal data, discrimination and ethics. Thank you, Chris. You're right. You mentioned it. Personal data discrimination and ethics are probably the three most important topics around insure tech when it comes to new and disruptive technologies. I already said a couple of words on personal data. Uh, new technologies can obviously uh, help the data subject enforce perhaps or better control uh, the use that is made of his data. But on the other hand, new and disruptive technologies might also enter a little bit into uh, into a form of conflict with data protection. Because as I said, the GDPR was adopted for a centralized world. And when you, uh, when you use technologies that question this way of organizing things like the blockchain, for example, a, a public blockchain is a distributed ledger, right? So there is no one single person taking a decision, but everyone is contributing to the network and helping improve the network and uh, validate transactions. So it is already quite complicated to decide, for example, who is the controller on a blockchain. Now, obviously, if the, the insurer uses uh, the blockchain, then uh, the, the insurer posts data on the blockchain. It is very likely that it will be the insurer who is the controller. But um, then you have questions around, let's say, how do you erase data, personal data, once you published it or on a blockchain, you registered it on a blockchain, how can you erase it, right? You have a duty under the GDPR to erase data when you don't need it anymore or to rectify data when you when when the information you perhaps registered is not accurate any longer or hasn't been from the beginning. And so there are some issues where you need to work a little bit around and to find creative ways of complying with these requirements. There are some solutions also to do this. And uh, finally, with regards to personal data, it is probably also uh, the fact that now the individual becomes more and more transparent. There's more and more data, personal data available. And insurers, through these new technologies, use more and more personal data and base decisions on personal data that has some advantages, but it also makes the person more transparent, right? And the person becomes almost the product. If you don't pay money, you pay through your personal data, right? So in exchange of personal data, you can obtain sometimes a reduction in premiums um, or based on your personal data, you will get a more tailor-made contract, which can be great. But if uh, the data you deliver shows that your risks are actually higher than the average person's risk, it can also go in the other direction. And here um, is a question or start, you, we start to see questions of discrimination and ethics to emerge. Because let's imagine that you um, would like to propose 
uh, uh, a car insurance contract and you have objective data that says that, let's say, a specific nationality, let's say French drivers, for the sake of the example, French drivers drive more recklessly than, let's say, Germans. Are you allowed to discriminate and make premiums for French drivers uh, more expensive than for, let's say, German drivers or Swiss drivers? Um, it can be based on totally objective data, but is this form of discrimination, should it be allowed uh, to be taken into account? Or let's take the example that you have data saying that women drive more thoroughly than men, right? So should we be able to take, to use this data and on average, uh, well, make premiums more expensive for men than women? Um, so you see, there are some, some public policy questions one uh, needs to answer. If we go into, let's say, health insurance, it is, I, I can understand that, um, if someone proposes a black box and says, if you are a reckless driver, you should pay more. Okay, perfect. But, uh, if you apply the same reasoning to health, then it becomes already more, more problematic, right? So I can understand. And it, it, it's already, it starts to become a gray zone. Someone who says, if you have a healthy way of life, you should probably pay a little less premium. But is this so legitimate? Because you could have some genetical disease, diseases or predispositions and still cost the insurer more, right? And what about saying, look, if you, uh, if you are looking for health insurance and based on the information we have on you, you have a very unhealthy life or you have a very particular disease, uh, then logically, the same logic, if the same logic applies, you should pay way more. And for some people, it might not become affordable anymore. And here you have a huge problem. Insurance traditionally is based on the, on the idea of mutualization. It is, the insurance risk is a, is a risk that is complicated to evaluate. You don't know if it ever materializes and you don't know when it materializes. And the reason why we invented insurers is insurances is because we understood that it is easier if everyone pays a, a little sum in the common pot every month. And if ever a risk materializes, we take the money out of the pot and well, pay for this risk instead of leaving people alone, assuming their risks if ever these risks materialize. Now, with these new and disruptive technologies, what you can do, what is te technically possible, is to calculate the risk so precisely that you start only paying your own risk. The mutualization principle means that everyone is paying a little bit for the others. And uh, this has an economic reason, and it also has a reason in terms of risk analysis. But if you are able to calculate the risk so precisely that you only pay your risk, what are we going to do tomorrow with people who have very huge risks, and especially in domains like health insurance that are very sensitive? Yeah, I guess there's there's so many issues in there that 
maybe we could tease out a little bit more in terms of the discrimination issue. Uh, so I, I guess if we th- if we assume that many countries have rules where you're not allowed to categorically treat different uh, classifications of people differently. Uh, so if it's sex or if it's um, ethnic background or religion, you can tell um, your underwriter not to do that. Uh, but if we start leveraging tools like AI, even if we program the AI so it doesn't consider those explicit factors, we have to assume there could be a way for the AI to figure out a different way to make that classification based on other proxies, right? So yeah. it may if it may not know the sex of uh, the person, but it could figure that out in a different way and then make a decision in the way that you're saying and design a policy that's different. And as you mentioned before, the AI is is in a sense a black box. We can't prove that the AI is not doing that or we have to figure out a way for it to to prove that it's not doing that. And so I think that's going to be a huge challenge for the industry. Yeah, no, I agree with you. But um, of course, um, perhaps uh, with time, uh, we need to think about processes whereby people using AI uh, have a duty to 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 ensure a minimum that the AI is not behaving in a discriminatory manner. Mm-hmm. And you obviously have a problem with discrimination or bias in general. Let's say bias um, in the way you train the AI, right? To start with. Uh, we train AI by using historical data, historical data of human behavior, human behavior throughout history. There's always been some form of bias. And now we're asking, and even if people think they are not biased, they might still have biases they are not aware of, right? Depending on your culture, depending on, on, on whatever uh, the region you live in and so on and so forth. And so the first problem you have is you have to train AI in such a way that it is not biased. And uh, my feeling is that we start to require AI to be even less biased than humans would be, right? So it has Mm -hmm. to be objectively unbiased. So this is the first problem. The second problem is that AI continues to learn uh, once it is live once it once it is online so you see you can you can use ai in a in a positive manner or you can use it in a in a negative manner and so this is this is the first uh, the first issue you have with discrimination the second issue you have with discrimination is obviously you can train your ai in such a way that it respects the legal framework of discrimination right so you mentioned sex race religion and so on and so forth those are criteria we know we should not use we're not allowed to use to discriminate but there are other forms of discrimination and all are not forbidden what does discrimination mean legally speaking discrimination means that you treat differently two identical situations or that you treat identically two different situations now if you can prove objectively that's the example i gave right that french uh, french people on average drive more recklessly than german people on average that's objective information. Those are two different categories, one French, one German. So am I allowed to 
take any decision based on this information, even if it is objective. So you could argue we are in two different situations, so we should not treat them in the same manner, right? So is this form of discrimination allowed? Or let's say discrimination based on the area where you live, Let's say that uh, in given areas, by the way, insurers do that partially with or without new technologies. Let's say then it, that in a certain area, uh, there are more, uh, there's more crime, right? So uh, insurers will probably propose you an, a house insurance contract with a premium that is higher based on the fact that you live in that area and that there is more crime, is that discrimination compared to a house insurance of the neighboring area where there is less crime, right? So the problem with the word discrimination is that you need to define precisely what discrimination means. We have a legal definition of discrimination, but we can have also discrimination that is not legally discriminating, right? It's not based on sex or on, on, on religion or on philosophy or on the fact that you belong to a union or whatever, right? So it's not discrimination in the legal sense of the term, but it's still a decision of public policy. Should it be allowed or not? Should it, should an insurer be allowed to discriminate based on your, 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 your health risk? And therefore people who are actually really sick would not obtain affordable insurance anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I think these are, decisions that are going to, you know, consume the industry for as long as it exists. And these technologies continue to develop. I know, for example, the New York Department of Financial Services issued a letter to the industry um, indicating, among other things, that they had the industry needed to demonstrate that if you use these tools, that these tools weren't using uh, or making decisions in a discriminatory way. But as you're indicating, the threshold question is, what is discrimination in this context? And then if we do get beyond that, this letter also requires that the insurance companies are able to explain to their customers how the decision was made using these technology tools. So it's not uh, acceptable for these insurance companies to adopt a technology or even outsource it to another party and then tell the customers, we don't know why the decision was made. This is the decision. Um, they actually have to understand what the decision was, how it was made by the technology that they adopted or the third party provider and be able to explain that to the customer. And I think that's, that's an important thing that I think we'll continue to see regulators request or even require insurance companies to fulfill. Exactly. I agree with you. I, I also think that it's a, a tool. The technology is a tool that can be very beneficial, but you have to stay in charge of the tool. And mm -hmm. you have to be able to, uh, as you said, explain how the tool works and how you use this tool. So moving forward, um, what other um, developments do you think we can anticipate? For example, now we are in the midst of a pan pandemic crisis. Uh, as we transition to the post-pandemic new normal, what changes in pace or activity uh, can we anticipate in this space? So, of course, we were already approaching the future, as is inevitable. Uh, 
But for a lot of industries, I think the pandemic just made the future happen quicker. So, for example, with remote working, it probably was going to happen anyways. Be it was going to become more and more acceptable, but it would happen. It was going to happen slowly uh, through increments. Uh, but this pandemic basically forced everyone, pretty much across all, all industries, to adopt technologies right away to make that possible. And so the future of remote working just happened sooner. Uh, along those lines, the limited ability to travel also forced other issues to the forefront. For example, it's been really hard to execute documents in person. And the laws of many countries require certain contracts to be executed in person with pen and paper. And with the pandemic, we saw some countries at least temporarily relax in-person document execution requirements so that documents could be executed with e-signatures and via video conferences. So if something needed to be notarized, you could do it via a video conference in front of the notary instead of actually visiting a notary office. Another issue is customer due diligence procedures, which typically require a lot of signed forms, paper copies of IDs. But what we're seeing is a continued and accelerated trend to digitize this process. And the pandemic, again, is just, I think, accelerated the need for these updates. So when regulators and industry players adopt regulations or tools that help the process work better during the pandemic, they will see that these processes can work and learn to trust them. And I think more importantly, customers will get used to these processes. And as a result, soon the customers will expect things like e-signatures, virtual communications, and digital KYCs across all industries, and we won't be allowed to go back to the old way. So tying this back to the insurance industry, certain aspects of it still require paper contracts with ink signatures or paper-heavy KYC processes. So what I think this means is we'll see more and more electronic or app-based customer interfaces, agreement executions uh, via an online portal or through an app, and more streamlined KYC processes that rely on digital forms of ID rather than photocopies of passports, for example. Iris, do you have anything to add to those points? Yeah, I know. I totally agree with you. I mean, the pandemic um, pushed us towards new technologies and pushed us also to, uh, well, to use them in an, in everyday life. And therefore, people are probably going to be more receptive to uh, the advantages this has to offer to them. And this will have an effect on the insurance industries too. So what you mentioned, you're right, in some countries, uh, insurances have to be handwritten, hand signed, and so on and so forth. Obviously, with a pandemic, that's a little bit more complicated. So uh, on the one hand, the whole process moves on the insurer side towards more digitization. But on the on the consumer side, there is probably more acceptance towards these new way of communicating, of signing or executing documents with uh, one's insurer. So I, I, I totally agree with you. Great. So, so thank you so much, Iris. And thank you to everyone for joining this edition of FI Insight. We hope that you have found this conversation helpful. 
Please do watch out for our future episodes, including our special editions dedicated to the Finding Balance series. If you found this podcast helpful, you may also be interested to know that Baker McKenzie has produced a series of podcasts related to the theme of resilience, recovery, and renewal in light of the COVID-19 crisis. My name is Chris Muir, and thank you for listening. We hope you can join us for the next edition of FI Insight.